Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puppy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh is the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshisthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh is the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It would definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast and this is episode 163 the guest for this episode is canadian comic book artist illustrator, and self-proclaimed bisexual comics cat mom, Jen St. Ange. St. Ange is known for her work on series like Dynamites, Nancy Drew, 
IDW's Jam and the Misfits, and Image's Bingo Love, along with a selection of cover work for various comic book companies. During our chat, we talked about the projects she's worked on recently, where she found her artistic inspiration, striking out on her own to do freelance work, her mentors, the different facets of collaboration, the horror genre, and much more. Before we get into this interview with St. Ange, I definitely want to remind you how you can support Fresh is the Word. I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Fresh is the Word. And for as little as a dollar per month, you can support me and Fresh is the Word. And for the $3 a month tier, I'll dig deep into my audio archives of interviews outside of Fresh is the Word for various publications from the past decade or so. Some I never even used. I already have stuff up with Danny Brown, Cool Keith, 12th Planet, and Jay Dilla's mom, Ma Dukes. And I'm going to be uh, kind of reformatting how I drop the uh, Patreon-only episodes uh, soon. I'm still working on that. So uh, go to fr- um, patreon.com slash fresh is the word and check out all the tiers. There's even some tiers where you can be a part of the podcast. So uh, once again, go to patreon.com slash fresh is the word and help a brother out. All right, let's get into the interview with Jen Sienange. I first came about you just through like the sort of Twitter comic book community, you know, like I just saw like people reposting your stuff. So I decided to start following you and I really like your... uh, your work, I really love your style, and then I just started seeing your name popping up on the uh, on the stuff that you've worked on recently. Um, just to like kind of summarize, what was some of the things that you've been a part of recently? Um, well, the last comic that I worked on uh, was Dynamite's Nancy Drew little mini series that we did. Um, it actually just got released as a as a trade paperback through Scholastic. Uh, it's called Nancy Drew in the Palace of Wisdom. So that just came out. It's a nice little book. Um, Before that, um, I've been doing interiors and stuff for commercial comics for a couple of years now. I think the projects that people would most associate me with would be this is Nancy Drew. I did the art for the first volume of Bingo Love, and I did uh, the arts for IDW's Little Misfit Run. Uh, That was like a side story to their Gem and the Holograms uh, book. Great. And uh, how did you, you know, kind of going back to just the beginning of everything, you know, how did you uh, sort of, you know, catch the creative bug? You know, what kind of a kid were you? Um, I think I have that very kind of cliche artist story of I've just always been somebody who I thought it was fun when I was a little kid. So pretty much from the time that I entered school, um, I had the sort of experience of, I don't think I I necessarily was a better artist than any of the other five-year-olds, but for whatever reason, an adult giving me praise for drawing really stuck with me. And I was like, wow, grownups like it when I do this, (laughs) I'm going to do more of it. And I kind of never outgrew that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You know, what was some of the things that you were a fan of as a little kid? You know, where did, you know, where did you kind of get your natural inspiration? Um, I've always been really interested in drawing people. Um, like 
my probably some of my oldest things were drawing like my my friends and my family and like my classmates and stuff like that. Uh, I also remember when I was younger, I was super big into Sailor Moon. And I realize that now that's pretty like normal, like everybody right. likes Sailor Moon, so it's not a big deal. Um, but I remember my mom put me in afternoon kindergarten so that I could watch Sailor Moon every morning. Um, and when I got to school, I don't even know if it was like because it was specifically that show or just like I was obsessed with it. I was so in love with Sailor Moon. I had a Sailor Moon Christmas where everything I got was Sailor Moon that year. <laughs> and all the other kids gave me a really hard time for it. Uh, so I kind of was just like, well, I guess this is going in the memory bin and never touching it again. Um, and I remember uh, I had a rather salty experience because I remember the next year, one of the girls who was really mean to me dressed up as Sailor Moon for Halloween. And I was like, what the hell is this? Right. You were giving me shit last year. Now you're... <laughs> Now you're dressing up. Um, But yeah, I mean, (laughs) I mean, this is a while ago. This would have been like 1995. So Sailor Moon was really like the first anime and especially the first show that was really um, that I can think of that I watched as a kid that was really specifically being made for girls or at least for like a female audience. Right. I never. Yeah. Like as a as a boy, I didn't get I never watched it as a kid, but mm-hmm. I'm like going back and list and watching it now. I just started. I'm like seven episodes deep. I love watching mm-hmm. it. Uh, I it caught my it caught my interest. So now I'm just like going to continue to watch it. And like I've said on mm-hmm. uh, previous interviews recently of people who've brought up. Uh, Sailor Moon. I, I feel like in the future, I'm just going to have a group, like a group Skype discussion interview podcast where we just talk about Sailor Moon. Yeah. And I mean, seriously, it is such like a cultural phenomenon for everyone. And it's very cool how, you know, geez, like 25 years ago, it was a big deal. And it's still a big deal now. Um, like it made such an impact on this group of artists growing up. That we just saw this and we were like, I want to do something like that. Even if we didn't know, like, how we wanted to do it. You know, like, I'm pretty sure, like, every every kid who was really into that show when they were younger, they, like, drew themselves as their, <laughs> as whatever goofily named Sailor Scout self-insert. <laughs> what, uh, what do you think is the reason why, like, Sailor Moon is so timeless and even today it's as big as ever? I mean, I think right now it's hitting a little bit of that nostalgia wave, um, just like the art style of it, especially I watch Sailor Moon Crystal and I'll give it the benefit that the first season I didn't like very much, but it got better. Um, but there's just something about the older the older series that it has a really distinct art style that I think people look at and they're like, wow, it's like 90s anime. It's really beautifully done. There's all these pretty watercolor backgrounds. There's a certain color palette that just like you don't really see anymore. Um, I think that kind of stuck out. I feel like there's also that sort of fun thing of just, you know, when you're a younger person, you just want to see things that you can see yourself and your friends in. And Sailor Moon was definitely a really good um, story for that because you already have a fairly large group of characters that you could be like, yeah, I relate to like this character and you can be this one and we're all going to play this game together. And there's like all this magic involved and you get to like beat people up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because believe it or not, little girls also like that. <laughs> right, 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 definitely. 
you said that, you know, growing up, you like to draw just people, you know, over the years, having, you know, just uh, like doing that drawing people, what, what did you sort of learn about that? You know, did you learn something about just human nature doing that? I mean, that's a very interesting way of putting it. <laughs> I mean, I think, yes, I think anytime that you spend observing people is going to be you're going to learn something, I guess. Um, I feel like there's kind of different little artistic journeys that you're going to take as you learn new things. Like I know kind of one of the cliche ones is, you know, when I went to art school, I had to do life drawing and I don't want to say I had to, I, I mean, I had to because it was part of the curriculum, but I didn't find it. It wasn't like a big deal, but it was definitely that sort of thing of like, you get over that sort of squeamishness of being like, Oh, Everybody doesn't look the same. Everybody doesn't, you know, there's all these different people coming in to model for you and you have no <laughs> idea who they are and you just met them and they are now naked and you just got to deal with that. Um, just kind of not feeling weird about it. I feel like that's something that's really weird in like Western culture that we experience. Um, so, you know, getting comfortable with that. I feel like from a completely different angle of, um, I've I've done a lot of commissions over the last few years since I've gone freelance, and I feel like when I whenever I work on a commission and I have like a file of all of the photos that people send me, I tend to really like project myself into kind of who they seem to be as like people, and yeah. you know I realize obviously people can send whatever photos they want and kind of create whatever sort of impression they want on someone, but there is something very like intimate with people sharing that sort of thing with me that I see them. And I'm generally like, who do they look like as a couple? How do you think they interact? What sort of like personality that do they have? And like, how do they relate to each other? And just kind of trying to pull that out of their photos so that I can put it into their drawing. And I mean, I, I don't know if that comes across. I'm pretty sure most people will be like, Oh yeah, you drew this like happy couple and they're holding a cat. And it's like, that's true. That is also what I did. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if that kind of helps why people feel like my commissions have a certain sort of like personality to them because I really do kind of intuitively put a lot of energy into doing that um, and I don't know how to explain that to somebody if they don't know how to do it it's just something that I do looking at photos going just trying to connect with people I guess right going through all of that have you learned, you know, does it help you learn anything about yourself? I don't know. I mean, sometimes I wonder if I do put too much energy into something like that. I definitely feel like I'm someone who kind of going back to the comments I made of when I was little, I got praise from adults and I decided that that would be like the driving force in my career and life. Um, you know, how does that kind of play in with how I interact with my clients and interact with my own art, you know, um, it can kind of be hard to be like, am I doing this because I like doing it or am I doing it because I know other people will like that I'm doing it. Um, and I feel like that's especially like, I don't want to say a problem. It's just like a fact of being on like social media and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that gets really amplified of like, I don't know if I like it, but I know other people like it. So I guess that's what I'll do. Outside of your artwork, does going mm -hmm. through this journey kind of looking 
kind of uh, sort of observing people for your artwork, mm-hmm. does it influence sort of your own view of yourself as a person, how you look and, you know, just any sort of, does it help with any insecurities you might have with yourself? Does it make it worse? You know, how, how has that journey kind of been for you? I feel like for me, there's kind of this weird duality of how you exist to present yourself to other people and also how you know you live in your day-to-day life. Um, because I don't feel like I'm untruthful, but obviously you have your going out face and you have your kind of slubby at home face. Um, (laughs) and I feel like looking at everybody else, especially because I, I work from home, I'm a freelancer. Um, a lot of my daily interaction is either with my cats or people online. So, yeah, um, cats. <laughs> you know, I look at everybody else and I'm just, there's kind of this thing of, you know, on one hand, I'm getting to do this really interesting job that I've always wanted to do. But at the same time, I see it as like, are other people getting, and not even talking about like work or anything like that, but just kind of like social opportunities of like, am I missing out on stuff? Um, and I definitely get that sort of that fear of missing out anxiety, looking at other people and being like, everybody else is like doing so much. And I'm just like at home all day. What was the sort of, uh, kind of moment that you, uh, you felt the need to kind of strike out on your own and just do freelance? Well, it kind of fell into my lap a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) um, I, I did go to art school, um, like for college, and I generally will tell people, you know, um, I'm really lucky that I got to come out of art school with very minimal to no debt, uh, but I know that's not the reality for a lot of people, and for most people, especially now, I wouldn't recommend, it's not necessary. You know, I didn't get an art job right out of school. I kind of worked some part-time jobs, and then I um, maybe a year or so after graduating, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try freelancing and see how that goes. And I tried for about six months and it didn't happen. Uh, and that sounds like a real bummer. Cause you'd be like, how, how can it not happen? And just like legit, I just like, didn't have the amount of work that I found in six months was not even enough to cover like any bills or any portion of rent. Like I was at the point that I had to go back to work. Um, and that was, like that was disappointing at the time you anytime you take a a chance you're going to feel bummed out if it doesn't work um but I went and I worked in an office job for about two years and then uh kind of happened that I was commuting pretty far to get there and my ride wasn't working there anymore so I didn't have a way to get to work so I was like okay I guess I'm gonna try and do art until I find another job and I didn't find another job. I ended up, I was doing kind of weird little jobs for a while, um, for maybe like three, four months. Okay. I realized that's not that long. Uh, but at the time I was like, I had no idea what was ahead of me. And then I answered a Tumblr ad, uh, for an indie publisher called Emmet Comics. And, you know, I hadn't done any comics at that point, but I sent them my portfolio and we did some tests and then they hired me on to do a little mini series and, that was in 2015. So I kind of did one comic and then I've been doing it since then. How do you think you were able to sort of maintain being the freelance life over the past couple years? I'm just, I mean, 
the the bad answer is that I'm really bad at saying no to people. <laughs> <laughs> that is just like anytime somebody comes up and they're like, want to do this? I'm like, do I have time to do it? I don't know, but I don't want to like turn it down or and regret it. Uh, so for most of my freelancing time, uh, I had a point where I was doing three comics at the same time. And I jokingly, but also not jokingly say that I lost my mind when I did that. Like it was way too much. Uh, like, I mean, it was nice, I guess, getting three paychecks, but it just, it wasn't worth it. And it sucks because you see other people being like, I'm working on all these interiors. And I'm like, you get to a point where you have to be like, it doesn't matter what other people are doing. This is what I can handle. And I need to think more about my future self and being like, what can I actually handle in a few months from now? That isn't all just going to come like rushing up at the same time. That's hard. You, you never know what's going to be a really good opportunity. And maybe you just like, you had really valid reasons for saying no, but you're still kind of bummed that you didn't get to do it. Um, you kind of have to learn to be okay with that. How do you kind of go, go about sort of decompressing, you know, sort of recharging your batteries when you're not doing any work? <laughs> that is a funny question. <laughs> <laughs> My work to personal life balance is so shit and I don't recommend it for anybody else. I'm honestly just like, and I know that this is kind of a reality of doing the work that is also your hobby because, you know, for most of my life, when I was doing other jobs or I was in school or whatever, drawing was like my hobby. That was the thing that I would do for fun. So it's kind of on one hand, just like wanting to work all the time that I can. But also at the same time, like I do have fun drawing. So I'm working, but I'm also having fun. Uh, pretty much the most I'll do is like, I'll, I'll watch my my husband play video games sometimes. Like, because I'm not... A, I just don't have the focus uh, to be a really good gamer. But uh, <laughs> if he, he'll he play like Stardew Valley and stuff like that, that's really chill. And I'll just like watch him play it. Um, or I'll just like bake bread because it's like a fairly easy, short thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> when you were, you know, when you started doing work, you know, seriously, started um, wanting to make a living off of it. You know, was there anybody that was sort of a mentor to or, to you? And what do you feel like a mentor is, you know, from your perspective? Um, I mean, the names that come to mind would definitely have to be um, Sarah Gatos and Kelly Thompson. Um, that was, Sarah was my editor from IDW uh, when I was doing the Misfits uh, series. And Kelly is... The writer of that and also very many other things. Right. Um, so that was pretty much my second job I did. Um, and, you know, it, when I saw Gem and the Holograms, that was a comic that had come out um, that they started doing it with Sophie Campbell uh, maybe a year or two before that really kind of got me fired up um, before I'd even really started doing comics. I saw this series and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to do something with that. Like, I want to be part of that creative team. And, you know, this is me saying that with, like, no experience and no portfolio. Like, at that point in time, it wasn't going to happen. Um, 
but I had kind of reached out to them just to like do some variant covers or something like that. And they came back and they're like, you want to do like a series with us? And I feel like if you look at my art in the, in the comics, just like from the first issue to like the, the last issue that we did together, there's such like a growth spurt because I was working such solid hours on it. But Sarah was such like a dream editor, especially for one of my first that she, she didn't like hold my hand, but she was just very genuinely nice and sweet and professional. And Kelly is somebody who I've worked with now on more than one thing. She was the writer for the Nancy Drew series as well. Um, that she's just someone who is kind of like a big sister sort of character I feel in my career where she really didn't have to, and I, I don't know if she sees it this way, but she really never had to stick her neck out for me or anything like that. Um, but she's always kind of been like, I think Jen is really talented and hardworking and I just want to get her doing more stuff. <laughs> um, which is very, as I said, not expected of her, but extremely appreciated. What did you learn during those times, you know, collaborating with uh, Kelly and Sarah? Uh, is there anything that you, you specifically learned uh, from them? I feel like we just, um, the stuff that we worked on together were just comics that everybody was like a really good cog in the machine. And I mean that in like a positive way, because it's like, you know, I wasn't going to tell Kelly how to do anything because she's a great writer and she could basically hand me a script. And I feel like she kind of was in a similar boat where she could, we met very intuitively in the middle. Um, so everybody was just doing what they had to do. There wasn't a lot of conflict, like everything in the team was just like, I did my thing. Here's the next person doing their thing. And everyone being like generally really happy with the work that everyone was doing. So I think that more than anything, as much as people will kind of be like, oh, you need criticism, you need people to kind of tell you what you're doing wrong so that you can do better. I feel like having a really positive, like encouraging work environment, especially when you're starting out and you're just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know if this is right. Um, like that will come with time. But if you have a really bad first couple of jobs, that is just everyone's like shitting on you all the time. You're not going to get to that point because you're just going to be so like beaten down uh, by the jobs. Like, I don't know. That's something that I, I tell to my other friends who are a little bit greener than I am with drawing of just like, I don't want to overly criticize them because I'm like, your skill is going to come with you putting in the time. What I want to do is encourage you to keep doing it. Um, because that's like the most valuable thing I can do as a third party right now. Right. Yeah. And, and I kind of wanted to touch on that anyways, like when in these, uh, in these instances, when you're collaborating with a team to make these comics, uh, mm -hmm. what sort of, uh, what sort of advice kind of extending on what you just said, would you give to people trying to enter this medium and how to deal with collaboration? I mean, in an ideal world, every collaborative team is going to get together and flow really intuitively and everyone knows how to do their job. Um, sometimes that doesn't happen. Uh, sometimes, you know, I, I feel like I've had collaborations where people were a little bit more neutral and not like unfriendly, but just kind of everyone is like, you know, they're just there. They're doing their job. It's not nobody's going out there to make like lifelong friends and that's OK. Um, I feel like you kind of need to be able to 
learn how learning how to communicate with people is important obviously because you kind of have to learn where the line is of being like is this my job to micromanage this is this just something that i need to let go and like am i being pushed too far for what is being expected for me um because you kind of feel i'm somebody who is a little bit of a perfectionist so (laughs) for me relinquishing any control in the creative process is very difficult um so I almost feel like teaming up with a writer that I I just like read the script and I'm like, oh, this is like a really good script. It's very relaxing for me because I'm just like, I don't need to worry about like, oh, what's happening in this scene? Is this a bad scene? Is someone going to have a problem with this? Is this like just totally like this isn't my part of the job. I'm just going to do my part of the job <laughs> and everything else is the other people's concern. Through all the interviews that I've done with uh, people, a part of this creative process, what I've kind mm-hmm. of noticed is that like for each project, there's either like um, everybody kind of does their role, does their job. There's parameters set and mm-hmm. everybody kind of turns it in and whoever's managing the project kind of molds it together. Then there's other times mm-hmm. when it's like, all right, here's the idea. It's kind of open. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of freedom. Let's see what we can uh, sort of uh, come up with. You know, what's your experience with both of those? And how do you sort of like swim through those waters like of having these two different types of scenarios? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit challenging because, as I said, I'm somebody who um, I have a little bit of trouble relinquishing control if that control is being given to me in a creative situation because I'm just kind of like, you know, how is somebody else going to understand what I'm thinking right. feels like unfortunately like the right direction to do with this? Um, but if you kind of go into a scenario and you know that you are just doing one department and like right from the beginning, you can be like, okay, this is cool. That's all I'm worrying about. Um, like, I feel like having everybody involved is a little bit of a double-edged sword because on one hand, um, I like the idea of a writer asking me like, what do you think of this? What would you like to do? Because it shows that they like care about making something that makes sense for me. But at the same time, I can kind of be like, oh, I guess this is something. And then I might take the idea and then I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant. (laughs) And that's like hard because I don't, you know, just because it wasn't what I kind of was thinking doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, But I would almost kind of prefer in that sort of situation to have somebody come to me with a more finished idea and be like, I have this idea that is like 90% of the way there. And I feel like just like the story of it and the theme of it would be a good fit for you. What do you think? Um, because then again, it's kind of taking that control away from me and it's not asking for input. I can either be like, yeah, this is cool. I want to do it. Or I can be like, I don't feel like this is right for me. And they can kind of find somebody who would be a better fit. How do you feel that you want, how do you, how do you intend for your art to lend itself to the overall story of the written word of each comic? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like generally, um, as we were already saying, I'm somebody who's very people driven. So for me, honestly, it comes through a lot in character decisions and kind of character interactions. Um, Like, you know, I never want to say never, but for me personally, I'm not like a huge, like, I feel like I'm inviting shit just saying this, but I'm not a huge superhero person. Um, That's fine. Like to me, it's, I know, but people tend to be like, well, what about this? Or you don't know about this? And I'm like, it's true, but <laughs> no, 
um, and I know that there's obviously exceptions, but to me, a lot of it is like the part in Sailor Moon that I enjoyed as much as I enjoyed the punching bad dudes in the face. It was more about how the girls were friends and how they talked to each other and how they took care of each other. Yeah. And to me, it's a lot more interesting seeing how characters kind of team up or fall apart than them doing a big grandiose action. You know, that's not the point of a story to me. You can have a story be about anything. And if the characters are really bland and just kind of like, oh, yes, we're doing the thing. It's like, that's not interesting. But if you have them doing the thing and they're like, there's personal stakes. I have a history. This is what I think. Then that's a lot more interesting. And I feel like because I have that sort of sentimental attachment to pretty much like any character that I work on, uh, I can really kind of push the personality and push the emotion uh, I mean, I also like drawing outfits for people, so I guess that's part of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so you're not much of a superhero person, aside from probably some uh, exceptions. You like Sailor Moon, but, you know, what else do you like? What, what's your general <laughs> sort of likes and li- likes out there? You know, what do you really get into? Um, I mean, I feel like as a more kind of general thing, my kind of interest right now is more kind of horror themed um and that's kind of sucky because i feel like as a comic person there's very limited opportunities to do scary but also character driven stories and i'm hoping that that doesn't stay the case for ever <laughs> right what are some of your your favorite horror movies or books or anything you know in that genre yeah, um, I feel like as far as movies, I'm kind of a weird horror consumer because, like, the movies that I remember making an impression on me are not necessarily the best movies. It was just ones that I saw, and they left, like, a, like they made me realize, of like, oh, I didn't realize there could be, like, a horror movie like this. I would like to see more of it. Right. Um, so, I think... <laughs> As I said, it's like a goofy one, so whatever. Um, Probably the first quote-unquote horror movie that I saw when I was younger, because I was like a really big weenie when I was younger. When I was like a teenager, I hated like anything scary. I couldn't do jump scares or gore, so I just like hated horror movies. Um, But a few years ago, I watched the first Silent Hill movie, and I was just like, I know it's not like a great horror movie and it's not a great video game movie, but for whatever reason, I just really liked it. Um, and it made me suddenly like, I watched the movie and then I like got into the Silent Hill wiki, like Wikipedia. And I just like the amount of time that I spent just like reading over everything about the series. I was like completely obsessed with it. Um, and you know, again, I never played Silent Hill originally when I was younger because again, too scary. Um, <laughs> But that kind of opened up the door to, you know, I didn't play Bioshock for a long time. I got really into Bioshock. It's like my favorite thing in the entire world. And I'm also obsessed with it. Um, I got into it a few years too late. Everybody was already done with it by the time I started playing it. So that was kind (laughs) of a a bummer. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I really like... um, that sort of segue, I think if I wanted to give a horror movie that was a more like good horror movie that I really liked, I would probably say uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Okay. Because that was another movie where I just saw it and I was like, 
I think a younger version of me would have been like completely like horrified by it and like I couldn't have handled it. But like as an adult, I was just like, <sighs> like seeing all the body horror and all the cool monsters. Because that's like a movie, and I know it's John Carpenter, but that's a movie where it's just like for the time limit in the movie, there's so many cool monster designs in it, and there's so many like gross things happening that you're like, oh, I'm sad, but also like scared and disgusted. And it's such like a cool experience. Like for me, I'll, I'll watch a movie and then I'll be like, go and do so much research afterwards about any monsters and like any sort of like behind the scenes or like concept stuff of it. I'm just like, that's the good stuff. All the monsters. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's like a pretty big disconnect though between that and my work. That's something that I'm kind of like wanting to get more into, but you know, I spent like a lot of years drawing cute, brightly colored things. And I feel like people are kind of like, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if I want to see scary stuff from you. So I kind of have to ease myself and them into it, but you can do bright, cute, scary stuff i don't know (laughs) bright and cute scary stuff yeah well and i mean that is sort of a thing about horror that i think is such an interesting like portion of it because there's kind of like a default aesthetic for horror that we we associate with it but at the same time horror is so subjective right right um a lot of people will say they're like well you know you should just do your style and do horror just like do it like that. And I guess I feel like I'm not going to be let into the club if I do that. Like, I feel like there's a certain style that I have to like lean more into if I want to. Um, and that's kind of challenging a little bit. Um, because I guess that also connects back to like, what does it mean to me if I want to draw something that I feel is more like scary or horror? Um, it kind of gets like really personal actually, which is another kind of interesting thing about it. Yeah, that was something that I've learned recently because uh, I was never a horror guy either. And there was horror movies that I saw when I was a kid or younger, but it was just like it was on. I just happened to see it. And I don't even think I even paid attention enough to uh, really internalize it. But recently, mm-hmm. as I you know, been getting more into comic books and stuff like that, um, the, you know, you know, horror movies has re- have really uh, piqued my interest. So I'm kind of going mm-hmm. back in um, – and watching some of like the newer stuff, some of the classics, and mm-hmm. there's also this uh, this uh, podcast that um, Shutter's doing right now called uh, She Kills, and okay. it, and it's about like the women that's been a part of like the horror movie in- industry. In every episode, they have like two women from that that's been a part of that. Like either either they were directors or they were actors and those classics mm-hmm. or whatnot, interview each other about sort of like the sort of win- the woman's perspective of the horror genre and the different sort of things going on. And what you were kind of saying about like um, the, you know, the kind of art that you're doing that you were kind of dipping your toes in. I realized also that there's like this spectrum of horror movies in that genre. There's actually Mm -hmm. so much more than we actually think. Not everything's blood and guts and gore and scary looking. Sometimes it's like cerebral. Sometimes it's, it can look beautiful, but there's like something internal about it. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, while you were just talking, like that's what I kind of is picturing that like there's more of a, 
a spectrum and I don't feel it. And I think people don't really understand that, you know, and especially maybe coming from like a woman's perspective also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that cause I actually like just signed up for shutter. So uh, I feel like we need to be like, that's right. Shutter is a great horror streaming service. You should check it out. It's only $4 a month. Right. Shutter, please, please sponsor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, give me that Shutter sponsor, man. Hell yeah, hell yeah. No, but check out the She Kills podcast on there. That it's really good That's and really it talk, talks a lot about like um, stuff from the women's perspective, from the women that were a part of it. Yeah. That sounds very cool. Um, and I'm actually looking for stuff to put on in the background, so I will check it out. Um, I mean, another artist, and I feel like this is like such a default one to bring up, and I realize that he is not a, a woman artist, but um, somebody who I've been doing a lot of like reading and like um, both of his work and like just stuff about him is uh, Junji Ito. And this is, as I said, such like a very well-known horror artist, but yes. from the of um like uh Tomi uh is his comic where and I I feel like this is true in a lot of his work but that one is very like front and center of she's like a very beautiful schoolgirl but she's also like a monster who can like regenerate herself and like you can't kill her like no matter how gruesomely you try to dispatch her she just like keeps coming back um that he has this really great quality in his work of like the way he draws like his heroines is very like pretty and like nice looking. And I just really like how he does like his profile shots and stuff like that. But then you have it kind of against these really amazingly grotesque body horror drawings. And I just love that sort of juxtaposition of, you know, having your beautiful characters, but then drawing this really like fucked up dude who's like spiraled into a basket. And like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense, but it looks like it could make sense. Um, his work is just such... Uh, I want to say I want to do more stuff reminiscent of that, and I'm kind of, like, learning how. Okay. And I'm hoping that in a few years I could kind of be like, yeah, that was something that really inspired me, and I feel like it comes through in a lot more of my work now. Right. Um, pushing the body horror and the along with, like, not sacrificing more pretty aesthetics, I guess. Right. Yeah, Junji Ito is going to be at the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, and I'm looking to uh, make a trip out there. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to (laughs) go. Right, yeah. I'm already planning on going, because it's only, like, a four-hour trip from here in Detroit. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, making the trip down, too. I'm just worried that, like, because everybody is so, like pumped for it it's going to be so busy like i don't even know i don't know if they're selling tickets to see him or if they're just kind of like line up and eventually you might get to see him but <laughs> right. i really like you <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it's like uh oh okay um he's gonna be there but will i be able to meet him will everybody in their mind want to just be there to meet him I'm pretty sure everyone and their mom will be there. But to be fair, everyone and their mom is also going to wait in line or buy a ticket. So they all get a fair chance to. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, kind of um, moving on, like um, what are you working on these days? You know, uh, I know you said, you know, I didn't really have anything to announce, but like, um, you know, what's what's the plans for the future? 
Uh, well, right now I have been working on a graphic novel that I'm doing with a... <laughs> Sorry, my cat's yelling. What? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> that was great. Um, I'm like... A graphic novel that I'm working on with Max Visaggio. Uh, who also is doing something with like Calamity Kate. Uh, she's done a lot of stuff right now, so it's very cool uh, to team up with her. Uh, but it's called, our working title is Aja Waja, uh, which I realize sounds, everyone's like, that's a funny name. It's like, yes, it is. Um, so I'm working on the inks for it right now. It's a book that's actually like being published. Um, <laughs> I love you. That's actually being published like by a book publisher. Um, it's kind of intense. Um, but it's basically a story about a couple of middle school girls who accidentally summon this old eldritch sort of demon god to their town who takes over the popular girl and they have to like take it down with the power of friendship. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sounds sounds yeah. interesting. <laughs> How's your cat doing there? Uh, she is displeased by the lack of attention and left. <laughs> what? Wait, how many cats do you have? I have a few. <laughs> you have a few? <laughs> is it is it like an embarrassing amount since you don't want to say a number? It is a lot. <laughs> we, are, we are pet parents, so we have no plans for babies, so we take care of animals instead. We have a lot of rescue cats. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. That, that's cool. I, I love cats. I'm a cat dude. Yeah. What, um, so no, I see that you're also from Canada. Um, what part of Canada are you from? Uh, well, I'm living in Ottawa right now, but I'm from outside Toronto. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I've always been, uh, I've always loved Toronto. I've been, I've been going to Toronto all my life. Like since <laughs> like family trips as a little kid going to, uh, <laughs> Blue Jays, Tigers games. Uh, so I've been always going on. Like, I always go kind of like once or twice a year. Uh, I've got friends mm-hmm. out there. It's always a fun time. I always love going there. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big traveling person. So uh, us moving to Ottawa was kind of a big, a big move for us. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, what was it like, uh, you know, growing up uh, just outside of uh, Toronto? Uh, what was sort of... You kind of touched on your uh, you know, your childhood, but what was it like uh, uh, growing up just outside of Toronto? Uh, well, I feel like I had a very kind of cliche 90s, early 2000s sort of suburb kid experience. Um, all my other friends wanted to grow up and move into the city, and my life just kind of didn't go that way. Um, but at the same time... I don't know. I feel like living in the suburbs is on on one hand very boring, but on the other hand, it kind of has a sort of, you know, I look back at being a teenager and we always had a a bunch of other kids around there. We were always like wandering around and finding little things to do around us. Um, I feel like I was living at least in kind of like older suburbs. So there was more things around. Right. And when I think now as an adult, like of crafting stories and like where I want things to be said. I'm always kind of, I don't mind doing city stories, but I kind of, for myself personally, I, I want to do more suburban stuff because that's what I experienced 
Um, and I especially think for doing kind of like creepy stories, there's a lot of opportunity there um, because you just have a lot of people who are living very closely together and sort of with the facade of like, you know, everybody on your street could be friends, but you know, do you actually know your neighbor? How many <laughs> neighbors do you know? <laughs> right, right. You know, there's a lot of spins. Um, also from the angle of, because I was a kid who was so slightly bored by my, where I was living, I would always look for things that were kind of neat or felt like they could be fantastical, even if it was just like, I remember there used to be a park that me and my friends would go to. And it was like, there was like a forest that was beside a golf club or some shit like that. But I mean, that was like when we wanted to go away, I don't think our parents knew where we were going and we weren't doing anything bad. We just go and like hang out in the forest. There was like a fallen over tree that made kind of a little shelter. So we'd go and like chill there. Um, just like having a spot to go that felt like it was far away. We were always kind of looking for that escapism. Right. Yeah, I've been around like the the suburbs of Toronto, and there actually is a lot of character in the neighborhoods. I feel out there. You know, it might it might seem like boring if you're living there, but from just like I guess from an aesthetic look, you know, there's there's a lot of those neighborhoods that have a lot of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, also the thing of as an adult you know, me living in a suburb or not living in a suburb is kind of like whatever. <laughs> right. But when you look back and you have that nostalgia, the reason that those areas were, have like positive feelings or negative feelings looking back was because of who was there and what we were doing with people at that time. So, you know, you're not going to get the experience living anywhere that you did like as a teenager. That was like a special thing that you, whether you had a good teenager, like, good teen years or bad teen years that was something that was just like an experience that is part of how you experience everything now right if you had to give any sort of advice to anybody listening to this uh, podcast like just any sort of nugget of knowledge and it doesn't matter what sort of artistry you know avenue of artistry that they're doing you know mm -hmm. from your life or career what would that sort of nugget of knowledge be I think I'm going to give you two little bullet points. So my first one would be find stuff that inspires you and find a way that you can use it to connect to other people. So kind of work on things that you want to work on, but also try to see how other people can relate to them and how you don't have to sell everything that you do, but you probably want to sell some of the stuff that you do. So see how other people can like it as much as you do. And going from the other direction, um, don't let other people criticize you and don't let other people like give you the opinion of like, well, I'm, I'm tearing you down so that I can make you better because the reality is, is that the only thing that's going to make you better is putting in the hours and however you find the, the inspiration and the energy to keep that up, that's going to be your most important thing. That's good advice. That's good advice. And, um, I always like to, uh, close out my interviews with the same question and I send it over to you in advance. Who is, um, who is somebody that be part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some good stories or lessons to talk about? Um, I feel like if you wanted to talk to like more comics people, um, 
I don't know if you could get them in an interview, but I think they would have interesting stories. I would say either Kelly Thompson, who is a writer, or Megs Visaggio, who is also a writer. <laughs> um, if you wanted to, if you want to answer someone more personal in my life who is also a sort of creative type and not necessarily like super big out there working, but who just might be interesting. Do you want an answer like that? Oh, yeah, that too. You know, anything. Um, my other person, that's a more personal recommendation. Um, my younger brother, uh, the name is Jeff, Jeff St. Uh, he's a couple years younger than me and he's somebody who, um, like I'm, I'm fairly close with him as my sibling, but he's a creative in a way that's very like parallel to me. Like he's never been really visually creative, but he's very like musically inclined and stuff like that. Um, and composing, and he likes doing, um, I recently found out that he was super into cryptid stuff as well. So he's been trying to do some more sort of like narrative stuff with that. Uh, that is fun. Very interesting. He actually, um, he was diagnosed and treated for lymph cancer. Uh, so he's still kind of bouncing back from that. Um, so he's had a rough little bit of time. But I've also been seeing him doing the best he can and still finding the energy to create the stuff that he finds really fun for him and finds really interesting. And, you know, I would like to see him be able to do what he wants to do creatively because I think it would make him really happy. He's still dealing with that cancer? I mean, he is technically cured, but the reality that we've kind of, discovered of like the treatment because they went through chemo and stuff like that is that you know the first year or maybe their first like three years they're kind of like is just like your body is so shot after getting those treatments um that is just kind of like you have no idea how much energy you're going to have in the day you don't know what you're going to be able to like handle um because you feel like you know you're you're not you're not technically quote unquote sick anymore, but your body still isn't back at a hundred percent. And depending on what kind of like how invasive it was and how like serious it was, you don't really know how long it's going to take for your body to be back at a hundred percent, or even if it's going to be back at that at any point. So it's definitely a kind of shitty thing of, you know, obviously it's a really good thing that he's, he was able to get rid of it, but, you kind of hope that once it's over, it'll be over. And it's just kind of shitty knowing that you might never be at that point. Right, right, right. Well, hopefully, you uh, know, he can uh, recover fully and be able to do everything that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Before we get out of here, it's been good talking with you, definitely. Um, where can people go online to get more information about what you're uh, working on and uh, follow you and to be able to see everything that you're doing? Yeah. Uh, well, my main website is Jen Stange. So that's Jen, J-E-N-N-S-T-O-N-G-E dot C-A. Um, and then I'm princess underscore gem four on like everything else. <laughs> Um, so I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and I just started up a little Patreon. So give me money. (laughs) Yeah. Support that Patreon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just started one too, and I got to get around to telling people about it. 
definitely a process. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's been good talking with you. Uh, learned so much about you. Thank you for uh, taking the time out to chat with me. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. You have a good day. Okay. Take it easy, Kelly. All right, that was my interview with comic book artist, illustrator, Jen Sainage. Links will be in the show notes for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com to where you can follow Jen and check out all of her work. All right, thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.